Jesus' words to this woman who has come, it seems like, possibly out of nowhere and stands behind him. His words to her are, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So what is this definition of faith? What is he saying to her? In Hebrews 11.1, it defines faith as this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Simply put, the biblical definition of faith is trusting in something that you cannot explicitly prove. Now, this definition of faith contains two aspects, both an intellectual assent and a trust. The intellectual assent is believing something to be true, and trust is actually relying on the fact that something is true. Very often, a chair is used to help illustrate that, so I pulled my chair out here for you to just have exhibit A. Intellectual assent is recognizing that a chair is in fact a chair and agreeing that it is designed, if done well, to support a person who sits on it. But trust, trust, which is that faith in action, is actually sitting in the chair. So understanding those two aspects of faith is crucial. There are so many people that believe certain facts about Jesus Christ. Many people who will intellectually agree with the facts that the Bible declare about Jesus. But knowing those facts to be true is not what the Bible means by faith. The biblical definition of faith requires both the intellectual assent to the facts and the trust. And the facts. Believing that Jesus is God incarnate who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and that he was resurrected is not enough. Even the demons believe this about God and they believe those facts as we hear in James 2.19, but most personally and fully, we must personally and fully rely on the death of Christ as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We must sit in the chair of the salvation that Jesus Christ has proved and provided. This is saving faith. The faith of God requires of us for salvation is belief in what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and fully trusting in Jesus for that salvation, knowing that it is done, it is finished in his death and resurrection. Biblical faith is always accompanied by repentance. Now the woman in our story who's anointed his feet he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, her faith and belief that Jesus is the one who forgives sins is, in fact, what drove her to him. 
Very possibly she'd been hearing the stories of his call to others to repentance, and she trusted in his forgiveness. She trusted in the biblical prophecies that said that one would come that would forgive even your sins. And out of gratitude and for being forgiven much, she lavishly washed his feet with not water but her own tears, wiping them with her hair, and then anointing his feet with a costly perfume. Radical grace. The biblical definition of faith does not only apply to salvation, it's equally applicable to the rest of our Christian life. We're to believe what the Bible says, and we're to obey it. Obedience is to listen deeply and then act. We are to believe the promises of God, and we are to live accordingly. We are to agree with the truth of God's love and his word, and then we're to allow ourselves to be transformed by it. So why is the definition of faith so very important? Why must trust accompany agreeing with facts? Because without faith, without that action of sitting down in what you trust, It's impossible to please God. Without faith, we cannot be saved. Without faith, the Christian life cannot be what God intends for it to be. And I would say that what comes with that faith, hand in glove, is repentance. A daily practice of repentance is a way of keeping our faith alive, of recognizing and trusting in this grace we spoke of, that we sang of in Amazing Grace to trust God's grace over our circumstances, to stand on his promise and believe he will make them so, even in our lives. That is faith and action. So what might it look like to have forgiveness as a spiritual practice of both granting forgiveness and asking for it? Give us our daily bread as we forgive those who dead against us. If you just prayed the Lord's Prayer daily and paused over those words, who is it in your daily life you need to forgive or be forgiven by? Now, I'm not to say that some things take time. In my own life, I have a sister who's mad at me for something. She never could say exactly what, but it's been a two-year process of winning her back and a lot of days of praying Lord forgive me for what I've done and what I haven't done and what I don't even know what I've done right but to keeping our heart because in that act of forgiving and asking God to forgive us we're keeping our hearts open and glory to God this week she started calling me again thank you Jesus If you've been estranged from anyone in your life, you know the pain that God means to redeem, not in our time, but that our part is to be actively seeking that forgiveness. 
And part of what it indicates is that we recognize that we're not God, but rather his creation, and that we are in need of his love and forgiveness. That is the grace this woman has. She knows how far off she's been from him. She knows her need for him. Whereas our Pharisee in today's story is caught up in that human temptation of pride, such a chief sin in which it entices us as human beings to pretend that we're God, that somehow we're superior than others. And it's from this position the Pharisee invites Jesus to dinner. If we look at this Pharisee's behavior, we can see his general attitude toward Jesus and the woman who anoints his Jesus' feet. Luke first takes the listener through a scene of great passion in order to contrast and highlight the actions of the one who has true faith in Christ as the one able to forgive, as the one who fails to recognize his need for forgiveness, much less than he is in the presence of that very one. The Pharisee does not see Jesus for whom he truly is. Much is at play here in knowing the cultural customs and what is expected as common courtesy and social hospitality. To wash an honored guest's feet, to even anoint their feet and greet them with a holy kiss on their forehead was the norm, and yet this Pharisee, trained in all the laws and ways, did none of this for Jesus, did none of this to receive the gift. It's easy to misjudge be caught up in our own superiority. I witnessed that this week as we hosted the Bishop of Pakistan in a gathering at River Oaks in a beautiful home there. And he is of the Pashtun tribe, the same tribe as the Taliban. But mainly his skin's a different color. And he was greeted with a grand welcome, but not Not the same way that I think our own bishop would have been greeted, quite honestly. And I was very distraught that at the end of the evening, who was helping take the food out to the car but me and the bishop? We would never have our bishop doing such a task. And it let me know how we were off in our view of him. Now, he's certainly not Jesus, but he's an honored guest. And it's those subtleties. I just saw it at play in a gathering I was at and I was a part of and was kind of like, oh my gosh, this is showing how we aren't fully respecting him and who he is in the broader church and who he is as a gift to us and a guest. What would we do if Jesus showed up? How would we greet him? What is the way that we greet a most honored guest? Do we treat and greet everyone the same? That is my goal, and I am so far from it. It annoys me. But I aim to have that goal. 
the one who does the custom in this story over and beyond, over the top, is the one who recognizes him to be the one who has power to forgive sins. She realizes what the learned one does not, her need for forgiveness. And in gratitude, she goes to him. She is so relieved to be set free that she pours out costly perfume on his feet, which points to his high stature and value. Over the top gratitude, over the top hospitality. Have you ever been anywhere that you witnessed that, that you experienced that? How might you this week practice forgiveness? Because in practicing it, we make room for this Holy One. And we make room for gratitude to bubble forth in our lives. And in that, we find peace. Amen.